Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the ride as we have conversations about what is happening in rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you here. Coming up on the program, we're going to connect with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, here in just a moment to discuss what is happening in the commodity and livestock markets. We'll get a look at weather coming up at segment two today. John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist, will join us to give us an overview of what we are seeing here for the week ahead, not only in the U.S., but in South America as well. Coming up in segment three, we're going to take a look at the most recent uh, export numbers for beef, pork, lamb, etc. Dan Hallstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation will be joining us for that discussion. And in segment four, we'll talk with the president of the South Dakota Farmers Union, Doug Somke, will be with us to recap their uh, recent state convention and much more. So we got a jam-packed program for you here today on AOA. Looking forward to having you Stick with us here for the conversations as we will start with a look at what's happening in the commodity market trade. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, is with us here this morning. And Darren, thanks for joining us on the program. Let's take a look at first uh, what's going on in the wheat trade to start off the week. I know you published an article on the Bar Chart website over the weekend uh, looking at whether or not SRW wheat, Chicago wheat, is bullish Yet we're down a little bit to start the week. So what do you see in there? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, Jesse. There has been a lot of talk. I mean, a lot of talk about uh, Chicago software when they're eating. All of a sudden, everybody is incredibly bullish. You know, it's just another round of China's going to come in and save another one of these U.S. markets, uh, supposedly like they did with soybeans and corn, and it didn't really pan out for those either. You know, have we seen some export sales here of late? Absolutely, yes, we have. Uh, do we need to see export sales? Yes. But the interesting thing is the March contracts, the March Chicago uh, wheat futures contract, has rallied about 95 cents from a couple weeks ago low through last week's high. And it did it on strong short coverage. Uh, total open interest decreased by like 70,000, 80,000 contracts over a two-week period. This is not bullish. It doesn't mean that there's new buyers coming in. It doesn't mean the investment side of the market is seeing Chicago wheat as this great opportunity that's just going to explode higher. Uh, yes, we've been making some sales, but really all it's done is it's forced the hand of, of uh, the funds to cover a short position that had grown to almost 100,000 contracts. So, I mean, there's really no big change in the market. It's not that it's all of a sudden you know, this incredibly bullish thing that's going to, you know, just going to take the rest of the, the grain and oilseed sector higher. It's a round of short covering. Uh, and we are seeing some commercial sales. We have to continue to see this. It has to be able to mm -hmm. build. We have to see new buying interest coming into the market. Uh, yeah, that is just going to be a, a, a relatively short-lived, you know, it's going to be a short-lived move. And, and then we're going to get back to the fundamentals of the there's enough wheat worldwide uh, to take care of everybody. Over in the soybean trade here, Darren, it, it looks like uh, after we got last Friday's USDA report, no changes seen there. It really, it feels like the market has quickly shifted its focus back to South American weather. I know uh, some of the weather models have been watching some disconnect between the Euro and the GFS weather models, and it's looking like soybeans to start off the week getting a little bit of a uh, push thanks to weather in South America once again. I agree, and, and that's why I'm looking forward to hearing what John has to say in your next segment. Uh, you know, because it is, we're in a weather market right now. Uh, we had some sales overnight, but we saw that, excuse me, we had some sales announced early Monday morning, but we saw it in the overnight trade, the way January and March contracts were reacting. So, you know, we know we're still making some export sales here. Later this Monday morning, we're going to get the latest weekly, uh, weekly inspections numbers. Last week was pretty disappointing for soybeans. Let's see if it didn't pick up last week. We saw some basis strength. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But it is going to come down to sales, and it is going to come down to Brazilian weather and what the expectation is, the real expectation, not USDA's, but the real expectation uh, for Brazilian production. 
On the corn side, corn pretty quiet to start off the week. I know we did see uh, exports come down on Friday, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, Darren, we still just got a ton of corn here domestically, and it just feels like this corn market largely caught between soybeans and the wheat trade to start off the week. That's a good way of putting it. You know, there's just there's really no motivation to push corn one way or the other. The biggest thing is similar to Chicago wheat. You know, the, the biggest thing is there's been a large non-commercial net short futures position. And so, you know, for no other reason, just some short covering uh, is going to be enough to lift the market. And, you know, then we rally up a little bit in March. Uh, corn starts banging its head against a technical resistance at 50-day moving average and these sorts of things. But outside of that, there's just really nothing going on. We've still got neutral future spreads. We've got basis, it's, uh, national average basis that's neutral to bearish. Uh, again, it goes back to what you said. We've got plenty of corn. We do have some demand picking up, but we've got enough supply right now to meet that demand. We are talking with Darren Newsom, senior market analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, I want to ask you about the financial markets Fed meeting this week, and I know that's going to be a talking point here amongst uh, Wall Street traders and more. Anything you're watching for closely in those outside markets? You know, what interests me mo the most is that, you know, there's all this talk, you know, these, these, these funny teasers that are saying, oh, you know, this could slam the brakes on the year-end rally and stocks. Why? I mean, anyone, that, anyone that's doing their investing going from FOMC meeting to FOMC meeting is probably investing wrong. Uh, if we're looking at the long-term trends, U.S. stock markets, uh, U.S. stock indexes as a whole are showing long-term uptrends, and they have since October 2022. That's not going to change the investment philosophy, the long-term investment uh, outlook for these markets. Now, there's going to be some short-term moves, just as there always is. Uh, do I think there's any there's any cattle? Is there any reason for the FOMC to change the course that it's been? No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, we can go back to June when when, when uh, Chairman Powell said there's going to be two more increases. We've only seen one. That was in July. Everyone wants to talk about rate cuts, but I don't think there's any push to get that done anytime soon. So I think it's just going to be more of the same, and it's not going to change the long-term direction, the long-term trends of the markets. In the cattle trade, uh, showing a little red on Monday, I was watching to see that CFTC data if uh, uh, funds were getting out of some of their long positions in this cattle market. Uh, or what are you seeing uh, on this cattle trade as we start off the week, Darren? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, this market's been in free fall for quite some time. Uh, and so, again, it, it looks to be more of a technical play. We have seen some fundamental pressure, some commercial pressure building as well. As you mentioned, you know, we've got, uh, we, we've still got, we did see some liquidation of the long, not a lot, in live cattle. And in the feeder cattle, we actually saw a little bit of recovering of their short position as of Tuesday, December 5th. So, you know, there, there's, Again, we could be at a we could be at a crossing point here in the cattle market. Maybe we start to find uh, maybe we start to find some buying interest, but I, I think it's going to be slow, and I think it's going to be very tentative to begin with because of how much pressure this market could still come under uh, from the commercial side, if nothing else. Darren, always great stuff. Appreciate you joining us on AOA here today. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks for having me on again, Jesse. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, with us here on AOA. Coming up next, we'll talk weather with DTN meteorologist John Baranek, back with more on Agriculture of America right after this. On the December episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we learn about the Consider Corn Challenge 4 and finding new uses for corn as a feedstock with Troy Schneider and Sarah McKay from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. The Consider Corn Challenge is an open innovation competition that market development hosts every other year. We look to establish biomaterial products and technology that utilizes corn. So we're looking into the future. A lot of our winners to date, they've spanned a variety of different industrial uses. So that's things from bio-based plastics to replacing petroleum-based chemicals with these bio-based corn-based sources instead. If you take all previous 15 winners from Consider Corn Challenge 1 through 3, if they reach full commercialization with their products, the potential for additional corn demand would be 3.4 billion bushel. Learn more about the winning projects online at ncga.org and join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. 
Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at the weather for the week ahead here across the U.S., uh, it's uh, overall looking pretty quiet. And actually, I don't know, to me, it feels like the weather's very undecember like uh, across much of the country. And we saw some severe weather here over the weekend at parts of the Mid South. Uh, plus, we're keeping an eye on South America. What is going on in Brazil and Argentina? What does that forecast look like for the week ahead? Well, here to Give us the details. John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, is with us here on AOA. John, hope you had a great weekend and, uh, you know, looking at things on that uh, forecast for this week ahead. And it's really, like I said, looking kind of just not December-like for many parts of the country, John. Yeah, this is not what we typically expect, right? Um, you know, we all have to put this in perspective, you know, where we should be at this point of the year is we should be on a pretty solid downtrend in temperatures and, you know, talking a lot more about, you know, accumulating snow across the Northern half of the country, but we just, you know, outside of a few places here and there, and then the Northeast has gotten plenty of snow and, and, and precipitation and stuff. But, um, you know, for a lot of us, it's been rather different, right? Uh, but, you know, this is kind of how it sets up during El Nino, this shouldn't be that much of a surprise. I mean, I know we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, but it's been in our forecast uh, going back to the spring. So, um, I mean, it's just the, the history is just solidly on uh, on our side here with, um, you know, just a, a very warm December for most of us. And, um, you know, if anything, a more active southern storm track. So the north doesn't mm -hmm. really have those chances for snow. Yeah, you mentioned that active southern storm track, and I know we saw some pretty devastating tornadoes through parts of the Mid-South uh, over the weekend, much of uh, Middle Tennessee and the parts of Kentucky. And, uh, you know, looking at uh, things like that, you and I were just chatting about this a little bit, how this time of year, the Mid-South uh, and the Delta region can be kind of an area where Tornado Alley kind of perks up here through December into January, right, John? Yeah, and it's not, you know, like it is during the springtime or the summertime, but if there's going to be any severe weather, it's going to be down there. And, you know, with a more active storm track here and what we're expecting that to kind of continue through the wintertime, uh, we could be talking about severe weather a little bit more frequently there uh, across those that southern tier of the country. And really, yeah, closer to the Gulf Coast you get, the more likely we are to see it. Um, it's usually we, we what happens is, is we'll get a, a front kind of, 
draping down through uh, that area and stalling out. And, you know, the Gulf of Mexico is still warm, so it provides plenty of moisture. And then you get one of these little systems that ride right along that front and and uh, really start creating some severe weather. So it's it's typical to see Louisiana through Georgia to be kind of a, a hotbed of, of severe weather activity over the, over the, the winter season, you know, a little bit more muted than, uh, of course, the spring or the summer. But um, if it's going to happen, that's where it's going to be. Looking ahead here beyond this week, as we kind of think the back half of the month, uh, anything you're seeing in some of the extended uh, forecasts here for the U.S. that I know we don't want to think too far out necessarily, but as you look out towards you know Christmas and whatnot, uh, how does this pattern look here for the U.S.? Are we really concerned about a major snow events or more of the severe weather or are things going to remain fairly mild here for the next couple of weeks, John? Well, definitely mild. Uh, you know, every so often we'll get, you know, some cooler air working through, but it's like a day or two of it. And then we perk back up above or sometimes well above normal. I mean, later this week, we're going to have this ridge just kind of spreading out through Canada and um, really bump up those temperatures across the northern tier of the country into southern Canada. We're talking, you know, again, 15, 20 degrees above normal. Um, or even even a little bit higher than that in some spots there uh, across the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin. So it's going to be it's going to be quite warm here um, across the southern tier. It's it's uh, another active storm track. We've got another storm system developing over Texas uh, on Wednesday, and that'll kind of just slowly creep along through through the south uh, and through the Gulf of Mexico for later this week. We'll have to watch that though. Um, because there's going to be another kind of trough moving through eastern Canada. And if those two can kind of get close enough to each other, it could draw that storm system up the east coast and bring some cooler air down through the through the eastern half of the country. I think that's a big if right now. Um, but, you know, that's that's potential of something a little bit more interesting. Otherwise, it's going to be rather quiet and rather warm uh, all the way up until Christmas. Any chances we get for showers are going to be pretty, pretty weak, um, across the Northern tier of the country. Um, really very limited in, in terms of precipitation. So, you know, a lot of folks who normally see a white Christmas, say up in the Dakotas through Michigan, uh, up in the Northeast have a lower chance of that. Maybe the Northeast has a better chance because they've, they've, uh, been dealing with some, some snow and they've got a little bit of snowpack up there, but for the mm. rest of us, it's, it's really tough, tough going in terms of that. John, let's shift our focus to South America and get an update. As I mentioned at the open of the segment there, we've seen a little bit of differing between the Brazil and, and Euro models here, or the Euro and GFS models, I should say, for Brazil the last couple of weeks. I mean, what are you seeing in terms of the models? As are, are they starting to converge a little bit more? Do we have a better idea of what we could see in Brazil here for this week and beyond right now, John? Yeah, I guess from my perspective, I don't think they're all that far off. I know there's been a lot of chatter in some other sources that talk about it, but uh, I mean, the longer range versions of both of those models, we're talking about, you know, below normal precipitation all the way up through at least mid-December and then, you know, potentially bringing that back in to being a little bit more active here towards the end of December and into January. And that's kind of uh, where we're sitting at. And, you know, this week's going to be no different, although... Uh, we're probably going to be on the even lower side than normal Normal uh, coming up here. So we've got a couple of good days in central Brazil uh, for some showers here. But once we hit Wednesday and Thursday, those showers really look to go isolated. And they're not going to see much uh, through probably the middle of next week. Um, when it's not raining down there, it gets hot and temperatures eclipse 100 degrees rather easily. So uh, we're going to go through about a week's worth of really hot and dry weather. Across central Brazil, and I know that's sparking conversation, and probably the reason why soybeans are up uh, a good bit here today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we'll see how long that actually lasts and how much of an actual impact that has. We have to remember that this area, while it's been seeing below normal rainfall um, all season long, I mean, it's, it's still over the last you know three or four weeks has seen about four to six inches of rain, wide, pretty widespread across that area. And there's, you know, pockets in there that are lower than that. And there's pockets that are higher than that. But on average, four to six inches of rain in a month or three weeks, that's that's pretty decent rainfall, if you ask me, for for uh, for a soybean crop. Um, so, I mean, there, there should be, in most areas, sitting in pretty good shape. Um, and, you know, a week's worth of hot and dry weather, yeah, it's going to be stressful. But if that is uh, immediately followed by some good weather late next week, which both the GFS and the European have, have uh, indications that that will be the case, 
going all the way through January, um, then maybe this hot and dry stretch isn't really all that bad. Uh, we'll see how markets take it and we'll see how the actual mm -hmm. impact actually happens. But overall, um, honestly, it's, it doesn't look that bad, I guess, in my eyes. Um, you okay. know, you can look, you can look at, you know, Twitter X and social media and, and see pockets here and there where people are going through and showing you their terrible crops and like that. And yeah, there are, that's because there, I mean, there are some pockets down there that just haven't gotten the rain like everybody else. But, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, honestly normal. I mean, you get pop-up mm -hmm. showers and thunderstorms all over the place. Um, you know, some, some areas just end up getting missed. It's just kind of a fact of life down there. Well, and I think to your point as well, John, we still have a few weeks here before if there are any sort of challenges that we start getting concerned about safrina corn planting being on time and impacts to that. We, we're still, uh, what, at least a month out from really getting concerned about that? A month from being concerned, and they don't even really start until kind of that third or fourth week of January uh, to really start, you know, turning over their soybeans and planting their corn. So yeah, we're, sure. we're quite a ways out from uh, the actual impact. Now I will say that, you know, this rainy season has not been good for building soil moisture. Um, so that, I mean, that is a, is a, a major concern, but you know, like I said, if we get that rainfall to come in late next week and really continue mm -hmm. through January, you know, uh, it, it might not be all that bad. Well, I, there's, there's a lot of time. <laughs> Jesse, there's sure. a lot of time yeah. between now and then. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen that we could speculate on, I suppose. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of time to go in between then and now. Real quick, Argentina, I know they've been catching some decent rains. Any notes uh, for Argentina right now? They have. I mean, last week was a little bit on the drier side. Southern Argentina got the rain last weekend, which was a good thing for them. They'd been kind of on the drier side lately. Uh, but this week, it looks like wave after wave of showers going through Argentina. They don't quite make it up into southern Brazil, which is actually a good thing for them uh, there as well. They get some sh sunshine and a chance to dry out. But Argentina is looks like they're going to have widespread, you know, two, three, four inches of rain across most of their areas this week, which is a good sign for them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're still coming off the, the, the backdrop of last season's historic drought. And the rain's been good, but not great. Um, uh, over the last few weeks. And so this looks like a, a week of great rainfall uh, for them. So everything's looking, you know, pretty good down in Argentina. If you got to pick a spot, Argentina is the one that probably could make up for some of those uh, production, uh, you know, sure. potential losses in, in Brazil. John, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. John Branick, DTN Meteorologist, with us here on AOA. Up next, we'll talk with the President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Holstrom, here on AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains and oil seeds are mixed to start this week. Soybeans are sharply higher. Wheats are lower with corn hovering around unchanged. Now, wheat futures were lower in overnight trade as rain is expected in parts of the U.S. southern plains where hard red winter varieties are growing. We should see multiple days of showers starting on Wednesday. Now, the precipitation will be welcome in the southern plains where little or no rain has fallen in the past week. Still, though, southwestern Kansas and the Oklahoma panhandle are only abnormally dry and some moderate to severe drought is hitting the Texas panhandle. Half of the winter wheat crop was in good to excellent condition as of the 26th, and that's up from 34% that earned top ratings at the same time last year. Now, soybeans are higher starting today and this week, but only for the second time in the past eight trading days. 
Brazil's driest soybean areas of central and northern Brazil have surely received some beneficial rains as of late. The question is remaining, though, how the crop yield and production may have already been impacted. It's been delayed by too hot and too dry weather in the north, but much too wet weather in the south. And in Friday's USDA WASD, it lowered the Brazil soy production to a still record large 161 million metric tons. That was down 2 million from November and still 4 to 5 million metric tons above some private crop analyst expectations. Some of the impact, however, was muted by the fact that they revised last year's crop upward by the same 2 million metric tons. Now, the forecast is mixed with some rain, but still high temps in the central and north with extreme wetness in the south. The latter has gotten a break from the rain lately, but heavy rains are expected to come back. Soybean products are also getting a modest bounce, but have been beaten down in the past few weeks. The VIX is trading around 13, while the dollar index is firming up and crude oil prices are hovering right around unchanged. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Teachers are dynamic leaders, shaping a new generation. They bring a variety of perspectives from diverse backgrounds, innovating how they teach to prepare students for our fast-changing world. Achieving this takes skill and expertise. They're tireless explorers, creatively discovering a universe of solutions, telling stories, experimenting, inspiring, mentoring, connecting cultures, and connecting with each other. Leading by example. Experience the unique joy of helping students thrive. Teaching is a journey that shapes lives. Are you ready to begin? Explore teaching at teach.org. A campaign supported by the U.S. Department of Education, Teach.org, and One Million Teachers of Color. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA today. Well, it looks like uh, the strong... Pork exports to Mexico continuing here. In fact, it looks like another record month for pork exports to Mexico. Uh, Beef exports showing a modest rebound as well. We're going to talk about the October numbers. Joining us now, he is the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan Hallstrom is with us here on Agriculture of America. Dan, always good to uh, have a conversation with you. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Jesse, for having us. Well, let's dive into these numbers. And as I mentioned, looks like another record month for pork exports to Mexico. And it's just been a a monster year for pork to Mexico from the U.S., hasn't it, Dan? It sure has. And as you alluded to, uh, we're on record pace again in October. We have been throughout most of uh, 2023 and just really hitting on all cylinders down in Mexico on pork. And uh uh, we couldn't be happier about that. And, um, of course, it's not just Mexico. I mean, uh, you look at uh, Latin America in general. We had uh, <clears throat> Central America continues to roll along, uh, not record pace, but close. Uh, you have South America, specifically Colombia, had a big month in October. And uh, really the whole Latin American uh, segment uh, has been uh, strong. So, uh that's good. But even outside of Latin America, you're, you're looking at places like uh, Korea that had a rebound uh, in October. And of course, uh, as we've talked about before, the last few months, uh, places like Australia and Taiwan have been uh, extremely strong throughout the whole year. I know with pork in terms of Latin America, I know the U.S. Meat Export Federation and uh, many of your partners have really been showcasing a, a lot of different ways for folks in many of those countries to utilize pork in their diets here over the last few months. I have to think that's a, a big component as well to some of these strong numbers, Dan. Well, I think without a doubt. I mean, uh, <clears throat> versatility of pork is one of the selling points. And, uh, you know, the nutritional base, uh, which is very important in the Latin American countries, obesity is a concern in a lot of these countries. And when you focus on the nutritional aspects of, uh, of pork consumption, uh, that's a real selling point. But then also the versatility. 
I mean, uh, it's not just ham uh, product that's going down to Mexico. We've also got uh, uh, considerable traction gained in the loin complex, which is always uh, additional demand for loins is always a goal globally. But Mexico has really stepped up. So, uh, you know, tenderloins as well. So, yeah, it, it's not just the ham. That's the other exciting thing. We're maximizing the value of that carcass down in Mexico. Yeah, and I know this is something for not just Mexico and Latin America, but some of the Asian countries as well, too. And this goes pork, beef, et cetera. Some of those variety cuts are always a, a huge staple down there. Some of those cuts that we don't necessarily use a lot of here in the U.S., they get a lot of traction in a lot of our export markets, don't they, Dan? They sure do. And, uh, you know, tripe on the beef side and pork stomachs on a pork side, but but also pork feet and uh, snoots and uh, neck bones. <clears throat> These things that we don't immediately think of as a center of the plate item here in the U.S., it is, in fact, a center of the plate item in, in several segments in uh, in Latin America, not only Mexico, but places like Guatemala are really stepping up. And uh, uh, it's exciting to see. Let's talk on the beef side, and I know beef exports uh, remained below last year's numbers, but you know we had such large totals last year that I think we've talked about this before, Dan. We want to keep things in perspective here that even though uh, the numbers may look to be a bit down, there's still a lot of bright spots here on, on the beef side, isn't there? There sure is. And <clears throat> once again, it's uh, for, first and foremost would be Latin America, Mexico, uh, the, the volume in October for Mexico, a little over 18,000 tons, was our highest monthly volume since October of 2019, uh, up 13% versus last year. Uh, Central America uh, region, similar, up 23% versus uh, a year ago, uh, led by Guatemala. And, uh, you know, this is the exciting thing is that, uh, you know, we used to think about some of these markets, even Mexico, Guatemala, et cetera, is very price sensitive markets. And they may still be price sensitive, but but it's not the first concern. I mean, uh, when the choice cutout ran up to 320 here a few months ago, they were still buying. So that tells me that we some of these markets are starting to evolve into regular uh, dependable markets that that go with the market. They're not, uh, you reach X amount of price and it stops. They're, they're buying year round. So this is really exciting for the beef side. Uh, I want to ask you about some, uh, the economic potential headwinds there and the food service sector for everything. I want to just jump to lamb exports and, and talk about some of those numbers real quick before we discuss kind of everything as a whole. Lamb exports, Maybe looked like trending a little lower in October, but uh, I, I guess run through some of those numbers for us and, and tell us what are we seeing on the lamb side, Dan? Yeah, lamb is lower, but lamb's a little hard to predict because it's kind of spotty one month to the next. Um, uh, but it is lower in October. However, led by Mexico, and, it, and it's uh, timely that we have this, uh, this, this program because uh, we just had one of our largest lamb events of the year down in the Baja Peninsula of Mexico. Uh, Forever Lamb, Forever U.S. Lamb was the title of the uh, of the uh, showcase that we held, and uh, it was really well attended. And and really, the focus of this was to not only educate about U.S. Lamb, but once again to educate about the versatility of U.S. Lamb for the higher end food service segment, and uh, and also the higher end retail segment. So. You know, that being said, it's it's a smaller market, of course, compared to U.S. beef and pork, but it's a growing region uh, on lamb into Mexico. So, yeah, I think the outlook um, is pretty bright uh, when you look about the uniqueness of U.S. lamb. Dan, I know uh, still some concerns about economic headwinds, the value of the U.S. dollar, et cetera. As you watch some of those things heading into the end of the year here, any thoughts uh, on some economic challenges that we headwinds that we could see potentially affecting our uh, meat exports here working through this month and beyond Dan what are your thoughts there well there's no doubt that especially on a beef side uh, being higher priced in general it's more affected by some of these headwinds and uh, you know the economic the inflationary headwind globally is one that uh, you mentioned the strong dollar which has especially impacted us in places like Japan um, there are definitely concerns. That being said, 
I mean, uh, the inflationary impact of what's been going on the last year, year and a half has been a, a concern. But now we're kind of looking forward to a potential deflationary uh, period of time going into 2024, which could, in fact, become more of a tailwind for us. So that's one aspect. Uh, another is the U.S. dollar. I know there's been some efforts uh, by some of the foreign uh, governments, Japan in particular, to to try to, uh, uh, you know, at least maintain or reverse the trend of the of the weak yen, the strong dollar, and uh, we saw a little bit of that last week. So, uh, but but the bottom line is that if you when you're looking at Asia, Japan and Korea in particular, they're not self sufficient, um, and they know they're not self sufficient. They're dependent upon imports, especially high quality imports. And uh, the U.S. is well positioned. So I would argue that, you know, these headwinds are just that. They're headwinds, but they don't stop business. And uh, business will continue, especially for the high quality segment. Well, you bring up our Asian country export markets. And I know that uh, one of the last times you and I talked, you were over in Asia doing some work for uh, USMEF. And we talked about it then, the food service sector in Asia what are your thoughts there? Are things still remaining somewhat limited? Are we hopeful for growth there as we get into 2024, Dan? Well, um, yeah, they, the, the food service segment, uh, Korea, Japan, and China in particular, were very uh, hamstrung uh, the first, uh, call it the first nine months of this year. Um, I was over there in September and we were starting to see signs of life, but still relatively speaking, nowhere back, nowhere close to back to normal. Uh, the, the consumer in general uh, was being conservative. Uh, tourism was not rebounded anywhere close to where it was prior. Uh, although in the last couple of months, we're starting to hear a little bit of a switch. Uh, tourism is, uh, is, is rebounding quickly. Uh, the, the China government has started issuing visas for domestic travel and inter-Asia travel, uh, which is very impactful into Japan and Korea because the number one tourist, uh, uh, tourists that come in are Chinese. So uh, uh, we're, we're seeing a, a bit of a, a switch in uh, uh, trends. Um, so yes, we're very hopeful going forward into 2024 that uh, we, we maybe will see some sort of return to more of a normal uh, food service sector, uh, you know, led by tourism and HRI. So uh, will that be early 2024? Will it be middle of 2024? We're not quite sure. But uh, uh, one thing's for sure is that these consumers in Asia have pent up savings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, that, that'll that help offset some of the inflationary impact, I think, because they they are wanting to get out. They are wanting to travel. And this should help our demand. Dan, real quick, if you could, uh, to kind of wrap up here, if you could give the uh, U.S. meat sector a Christmas present, so to speak, here as we near the holidays, uh, what would you uh, be hopeful to watch for as we get into next year? Got about 30 seconds. Well, I think uh, <clears throat> I think the um, appreciation of, uh, of our products from a safety, quality, versatility standpoint is second to none. Uh, I think this growth that we've seen in pork exports will continue into next year. Uh, we're going to end up this year 9 or 10% up, uh, and we should be up at least 3 or 4% again next year. And I think there's going to rebound coming on the beef side uh, in some of these markets. So, uh, yeah, all in all, I think we're well positioned going forward despite the headwinds. President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, thanks so much for joining us on AOA. I wish you a happy holiday season. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with the president of the South Dakota Farmers Union, Doug Somke. That's on the way next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting at homes across the country and tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. 
What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You can't escape a traffic jam. Know what else you can't escape? Seasonal allergies. And you might think you can avoid that coffee stain until... Oh, really? You can't escape a lot of things in life. But you can escape prediabetes. Prediabetes captures one in three adults. There are usually no signs of prediabetes. In fact, most people don't even know they have it. But with early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Take action by taking the one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. You might not be able to escape having this song stuck in your head, but you can escape prediabetes. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. On the December episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we learn about the Consider Corn Challenge 4 and finding new uses for corn as a feedstock with Troy Schneider and Sarah McKay from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. The Consider Corn Challenge is an open innovation competition that market development hosts every other year. We look to establish biomaterial products and technology that utilizes corn. So we're looking into the future. A lot of our winners to date, they've spanned a variety of different industries industrial uses. So that's things from bio-based plastics to replacing petroleum-based chemicals with these bio-based corn-based sources instead. If you take all previous 15 winners from Consider Corn Challenge 1 through 3, if they reach full commercialization with their products, the potential for additional corn demand would be 3.4 billion bushel. Learn more about the winning projects online at ncga.org and join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, it is convention season, meeting season across much of the country. A lot of farmers and ranchers taking time to attend uh, various state conventions, national conventions, et cetera, et cetera. Well, just uh, recently, the South Dakota Farmers Union had their annual state convention in Huron. And here to talk about it with us, we have 
the president of the South Dakota Farmers Union. Doug Somke is with us. Doug, great to have you on the program. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Jesse, thanks for having me. Yeah, we had a really good convention and, uh, you know, great weather too, right? Yeah, you know, you can't complain when uh, you're not having to deal with a blizzard or something like that or an ice storm across the uh, northern plains in December. That's always a good thing. Love to just start to uh, talk about some of the highlights from your convention. What were some of the big uh, key discussions that were held during the convention this year? Well, I think uh, one of the biggest things this year, our, our leadership changed that vice president, uh, Wayne Soren, a longtime uh, member and longtime vice president of South Dakota Farmers Union, uh, stepped down and uh, we elected Jeff Kipley. Uh, as our new vice president of South Dakota Farmers Union, who also serves as our national uh, Farmers Union vice president. So it's really nice to have Jeff on, on our board at the state level as well. He does a great job on on the national level, really good uh, advocate for us and uh, a great asset uh, to, to family farmers and ranchers. And so that, that was one big thing. But the other thing was the discussion uh, around uh, uh, concentration in the marketing, uh, especially in the, the beef markets. Uh, we had a, a, a panel with uh, Scott Bluebaugh from Oklahoma Farmers Union and also uh, from the United States Department of Justice uh, Attorney General, um, Deputy Attorney General uh, Michael Cadis. Uh, and he came and uh, stayed a couple extra days with us as well. He, he went to a uh, live auction market. He's never been to a uh, live auction market. We went to uh, Mitchell. And then we took him to a couple of feedlots in the area. I had uh, some of the feedlot operators explain the situation that they're they're facing and the challenges that they have. Well, and uh, you mentioned uh, that discussion, and uh, there are a lot of challenges out there for our, our cattle producers. You know, you look at the futures market and just the the rapid pullback there, and some of that market manipulation uh, that you you mentioned there and alluded to. I know that. There's a lot of folks uh, in, in South Dakota and, and beyond that are are really concerned about what exactly is happening in these markets and issues with packers, et cetera. There's a, there is a lot of concern out there. It sounds like that was reflected at the convention. Yeah, it really was. It was a really good discussion, good uh, question and answer session uh, by the members as well. So it, it just shows that our members are engaged and, you know, want, want to know uh, – you know what's going on and what they can do and you know the other thing that was also brought up uh scott blueball brought this up i mean they've got their own uh, uh state label uh for uh local beef in in uh, oklahoma uh, but one of the challenges that they face is the restaurants when when uh, they start buying product directly from the producer uh under their state level uh, of course now they're not buying you know from their distributors such as cisco or whoever um, and uh, they they realize that okay so you're not you're 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 still buying our pork and you're still buying our our vegetables but you're not buying beef what's going on and so then they get retaliated against which is you know again an issue that that you know has to be addressed so it's not just on the the pricing in the in the marketplace it's also on our distributions and the control uh, you know really it's 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 really a, a mafia uh, controlled system. Uh, Jesse, when you look at it, to me, it's not just this way in the Midwest. It's this way in the coast as well. I mean, North Dakota Farmers Union uh, supplies a lot of uh, a product from uh, the Midwest here to their own restaurants that we have out in uh, D.C. in, in that area. And uh, we've been conf uh, had conflicts with distributors out there as well. Uh, and on simple things such as flour for bread. Um, so, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. a, it's the only you know, it's a product that we raise right here in, in the Midwest, right? And, um, you know, they just want to know where it comes from and they want to sell their own product in their own restaurant. But uh, those type of things happen. And that's a, that's something else that we have to talk about. And, you know, th these things haven't happened overnight uh, and they're not going to get unwound overnight. But I just want consumers to know that this isn't just a, a pricing thing for the raw product that we have. It's also the distribution system as well. Doug, I know a lot of talk over the last uh, year or so has been uh, on carbon pipelines and property rights across the Midwest, South Dakota. No exception to that conversation. Was that something that was brought up during uh, the Farmers Union Convention this year? Yeah, that was probably the main, the brightest star. I mean, that, that 
I guess I, I focused um, our attention on this. Uh, you know, we're part of the uh, South Dakotans first coalition. There was one, the first coalition that was started to address this issue. And now all of a sudden as legislative session comes forward, now we got two more groups that, that say that they know the best way to make it happen, which is interesting. I mean, I know the individuals that are leading both these groups and, and uh, you know, they're, they're well-respected individuals in the state, but they're also very tied to uh, the commerce side and they're very tied to big, big ag. And I think you got to ask yourself, you know, they call us the small group that we're just a small group of, of uh, troublemakers is what they're calling our group. And the fact of the matter is though, Jesse, uh, we're, we're a group that is representing the landowners. We're a group that uh, also got the PUC's backing. Uh, we're a group that also got the, the commissioners, uh, county commissioners backing. So I don't know how small you'd say we really are. And if you just look at the farmers union and, uh, you know, we got over 19,000 members. So I don't know how small that is. We're actually the, the largest and the, and the oldest uh, farm organization in the state. Well, I know uh, there's a lot more discussions that are going to be had surrounding that issue and the um, monopoly in the markets that you brought up. We talked about, of course, so we got a farm bill to get done at a national level and much more. But I think a, a big thing, Doug, is if folks want to stay engaged and informed, they uh, can find more information and ways to stay involved. SDFU.org. I'm sure that's a great place to start, isn't it, Doug? Yeah, it really is. And get involved in your local meetings. I mean, that's where this always comes from. I mean, all these topics that we're talking about were all started at their yeah. county or local level. I mean, that's, that's where it started. Well, congratulations on being elected to a 10th term as the president of South Dakota Farmers Union, Doug Somke. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, Doug. We'll get you back on the show again soon. Thanks, Jesse. All right, we're out of time here on the program. Thank you for joining us on AOA Agriculture of America. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look, listen, live. For more info, go to oli.org. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen, but you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind of know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org.